partner. Well, how is everyone? Did you get a little bit of rain yesterday? I got a little bit of rain. I wanted to sleep through it, but I didn't. Kind of regret that. But rain is interesting, isn't it? When you don't have it, you sure miss it. But sometimes when you're getting it, you want it to go. We're kind of in that between time. We want it now, but we want it to say, Thank you, Lord, that's enough for this, this season. Let us ride this one out. Well, today we hit one of those texts that uh, if you try to read it earnestly, uh, it is difficult. If you want to read it on a superficial level, it's not that hard. It's easy to understand, but it's one that is hard to truly apply to your heart. And so before we get to our, our text today out of the book of 1 John chapter 4, I want to pray. I want to pray over this sermon, pray over these words, pray over us today. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today as broken people who are truly loved. We are loved by you. Many of us have placed our faith in you as our Lord and Savior, but Lord, we don't live the way that we should because our love has not been perfected yet because we are too busy in the, the trials and temptations of this world. Lord, I pray as we, we enter this time that the hearts that have been lifted up by the words of these songs, by the music that was played, let our hearts be now in tune to the words that you will have for us. Not the words that I proclaim, but the words that are carried by the Spirit deeply into our hearts. Let us hear those words. Let them penetrate our soul and show us how to live this faith out that we have in the world that we live in. For we know we tend to hide the love for a brother and sister deep down when we know it should just ooze out of every part of us because of the great love that you have given us today. It's in your name we pray, amen. And so if you're new to the little letters of John 1, 2, and 3, um, congratulations, this is a great read. If you kind of want a summary of what the gospel of John is as far as its essence and what God is love means, these are a good kind of cliff notes to those. Um, John uh, is one of the few or the only disciple who walked and talked and lived and breathed and ate with Jesus Christ who got to live a full, complete life of old age the way we see it in human terms. The rest of their life were fulfilled, but they were short-lived far as chronologically goes on this earth. Uh, but John was a witness he was a witness to what Christ did on earth. He bore witness to what Christ did on earth all of his life till he was an old man that had to be led around. And so when John writes this letter, he writes it as a mature Christian, one who had been through the seasons of life, who had been to the deepest and darkest valley as the psalmist saw as he, he wrote about his great good shepherd. He'd been through those valleys. He'd been up to the mountaintops. He saw what it's like to live with God in control of your life and the things that can be accomplished when God is the one who does the work. He planted churches. He lived with people. He ate with people. He cried with people. He buried people. 
He was a pastor through and through, an evangelist, a teacher of the church, one who saw from experience how heaven can come down and live in our lives. And it sounds like he writes in simple terms. He talks about love. It's a four-letter word in English, love. But, you know, I, I, I think love is probably one of the most misused, abused words in all of the English language. Love can manipulate. Love can do harm. Love can control. You know, even as I say these, I think it might be the most misused or abused word in any language ever spoken. Because love can twist things. We have just the one word in our language, many versions for types of love in Greek. But let's talk about the English form of it, love. Is it something that we experience? Is it emotion? Yes. But emotional love is short-lived. Raise your hand if you've ever been in love with someone else. Your first love, are you married to them today? Some of us may be. Not many of us, though, probably. Those early days of dating, are they the same if you've been married? Raise your hand if you've been married more than 10 years. Is your relationship today like those early days of dating? No, because there's different types of love. That was a love that we experienced in emotion. But if love is going to endure, it can't remain anchored in emotions. Because who of you out here can say that I am consistently emotionally stable? <laughs> I can't raise my hand. I'm moody. I can get bitter. I can be mean. So if we can trust in our emotional stability, we can trust in emotional love. Other types of human love... How are they seen? They are developed, they are actions. So many times we use love as a verb. I love someone. Doesn't mean I emotion someone. It means the things that I do for that person. It could be a number of things. Cooking dinner, doing chores, holding hands, at some point maybe changing diapers. Love can do all kind of things. And love changes. Emotional love has never been an anchor. Love is only seen truly in action. John loved the people that he wrote to. Let me tell you a little bit about this church. So they lived in a time of purality of religion. It's all kind of gods. There was no absolute truth. Can you imagine a time like that? They lived in a time where you could do what seemed right in your own mind, if it didn't hurt, hurt someone else. A time where their culture said you could live how you wanted to live. As long as you didn't bother someone else. There was no real moral standard or guideline. Man, can you imagine a time like this? They also lived in a time that was prosperous where the mentality is, this is mine. I have earned it. I can control what I do with it. I can limit how I want. And then I can look on people who have none and say, they're just lazy 
inept? Why don't they just go and get a job? Can you imagine a time like that? Well, absolutely you can imagine a time like that. It may have been many, many years ago, but it's very similar to the culture we live in today where everyone can have their own idea of absolute truth. Well, there's no real truth, but it's all relative, our culture would say. Can you believe a time like that? Of course we can. We live a time like that. There was times in the church, in John's church, where there was leaders who came up and started teaching a different gospel, something contrary to what they had learned from them, from the disciples, from those early apostles, those witnesses. And the truth was twisted because they had their own. They came from amongst them. And they taught something contrary to them. They taught against who Jesus really was. Because for some, it was hard to wrap your hand around a God who would send a man to be born and to live a life and actually be God himself. So they saw that in the stories of Jesus, when he went into those waters of Jordan, that this divine essence came down on Jesus. But when he went to Gethsemane, that essence was removed. And so this true man died a true death. But it was the essence of God who taught and lived among them. That's not what John saw. That's not what John witnessed. John witnessed a man who was of God, who was of this world but not of this world, who could do things that no other person could do, and who was raised again so that he could offer us life because he took the punishment we deserved. He took it upon himself to show us what love was. So when we try to do church together, it can be difficult. We have those teachers who want to say that what we're doing is wrong. Let me share you this new kind of gospel, this new kind of thing. And let's talk about love, what love is. Love should be the center of what we believe. Yes, you are right. But God so loved us that he gave us his word. He gave us the scripture. Not just to witness to what Jesus did, but to witness how God has intervened through all of creation. He gave us the account of how everything came together in the beginning. How each and every one of us were created for a purpose. And it was to live in harmony with God. But when sin entered the world, that harmony was destroyed. We were cast out of his perfect world. And the ground was cursed to grow thistles and figs. That's not even words I said. Thorns and weeds, let's go with that. <laughs> but the life we lived was cursed. Bringing forth the next generation came through pain and blood and tears. And many tragedies were told in that line. But our relationship was destroyed and our life became hard because God so loved us that He gave us freedom. What is freedom? Think about that question because it is innately tied to what is love. Freedom gives you the choice to truly live. 
Slavery bondage is a choice of doing things that you don't want to do. The Apostle Paul, in the, le in the letter to the Romans, tells us this in chapter 7, verse 15. It says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. The Apostle Paul is referring to his flesh, the flesh that was so innately destroyed or cursed by sin that he couldn't control it on his own. I mean, if anyone could, he could, right? Think of his life. He taught his body to live in submission. He disciplined his life in a spiritual sense. He taught his mind from the scriptures. He sat at the feet of great rabbis so that he may learn the, the way to be a true Jew, to live by the law. He was a Pharisee, one with zeal. And when trouble arose in the church, he would even sought permission to carry out justice on those who would profane the name of the Lord. But he learned something when his heart finally saw what his spirit was like. It was in bondage to the flesh, to the law. But when he learned to walk by the way of the, the Lord, when he learned to walk in love, he learned that in his own might, he didn't do what he wanted to. The person who was the best example how to live a disciplined spiritual life couldn't pull it off. How can we? I mean, think about it. Do you wake up every morning and study your scriptures for hours a day? How much of it do you have memorized? Can you recite the first five books of the Old Testament by heart, without aid? He could. He could do so much more than that. How much work do you put into developing your own self? Look at our athletes. What do they do? Our football players. Our runners. They put in the time. But yet, even all the effort that they put in, they don't always get it right. Because there's problems with this life. We get these little things called viruses our bacteria in our system and they corrupt our physical life when we should be running at our best when we have put in all the discipline all the effort and that we should be excelling above all the rest around us things that are beyond our control will plague our breathing our air quality is not perfect there are some days that we have beautiful sunsets isn't it why are those sunsets so pretty because they are reflecting the, the different elements in the dust. You don't get those shades without dust. Have you ever noticed on a day where we have no wind, we have no sunsets? It's just a little thing in the distance that just goes pshh. We live in an impure world. And we have those among us that will guide us apart. So John tells them in the beginning of chapter 4, let's follow along if you will. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Let's not be naive. That's what John is telling them. 
when I'm gone, don't be naive. You're going to have to test some things. You can't just blindly in faith trust everything that you hear. Have you ever heard the expression, don't believe everything you see on TV? Don't believe everything you hear from the pulpit. When I was a kid, you carried your Bible to church. You studied it in, in Sunday school, but you brought it in to hear the preacher preach. Why did you have it there? I mean, we used to put it on the screen. I don't, because I'm not sure where I'm preaching as we're going through this. We have copies in the pew there. Why is it important for us as Baptists to actually have a Bible as we come together to worship? Not every tradition focuses on that. They focus on ritual and liturgy and written prayers. But we believe it is important because we believe the words that John told his church, his people. You know, there's a thing in preaching called proof texting. It's writing a sermon and then finding the scripture to go with it. Some of us are very good at that. Have you ever read devotionals? As a little scripture, a little, uh, you know, a couple paragraph blurbs. Pretty common. Takes you about five minutes to get through it. If you want to know what proof texting is, read some of those. I like them. Don't get me wrong. They help you grow in your faith. They help give you the, the strength and set your sights on what is above to start the day. They're quick reminders. They're kind of the proverbs of our life. But proof texting can be bad because we can make anything mean what we want it to when we don't give context. And that's why we as Baptists bring our Bibles to church because I've seen pastors who get up and they read their scripture. And I may be guilty of this from time to time. And then they set their Bibles down and they speak very inspirationally. Everyone says, great sermon, Pastor. You really stepped on my toes today. I was moved. But when you listen to the words that he proclaimed and the scripture that he read and the context that it's in, it doesn't really go together. It may have been inspirational. It may have even been godly. But we weren't given the scriptures to make us feel better because as Christians in America, that's what we treat Christianity like. It is some type of therapy for our lives. It is God so loved the world that he gave us therapy so we could feel good about ourselves. That's not what was going on here. God so loved the world that he gave us freedom. And what do I mean by that? He gave us his love, but he also gave us redemption. When we look at the best human examples of what love is, all we can find is failure. Even the best examples of love. You look at the longest lasting couples. Did they ever fight? Of course they did. If they didn't, they also lied. But they also learned that sometimes you don't have to win every fight. Because guess what? Sometimes you were wrong. And sometimes it's easier just to let the other person be right when you know they're wrong. But God's love is true. 
It is also how we are to, to judge. In verse 3, there is a spirit of the Antichrist loose on this world. It wants to, to push us in a different direction. Sometimes it's subtle. Did you know, if you're just off course a little bit, just think you had uh, in the days of uh, early days of uh, flight. They didn't have GPS. They had compasses. They, they had uh, maps and charts and longitude and latitude. And my wife has been teaching that same topic in her social studies class at school. And did you know that can be very complicated for some people? Some have to try again and again, and they still get it wrong. It's hard. It's difficult. I mean, lat, flat, long, tall, I, I don't know. You, you have to think about it, and then you've got to put yourself there. But guess what? what? What if you knew how the concepts of all this work, and you knew how to plot your way around this globe? Well, let's just say your instrument was at 98% accurate. 98%. Only 2% wrong. If you're going between Floyd Ada and Lubbock by air, you get pretty much close enough in the city limits, find where you're heading. If you're going from Floyd Ada to, uh, let's say, Hong Kong, you're off 2%. Where in the world are you going to land? We're still looking for Amelia Earhart. Think about it. Best we can offer from a human perspective is a pretty good chance of showing you what love is. There's a pretty good chance of understanding it. But the devil is there, and he wants to tell you what you're doing is accurate because he knows your instruments are off when you put emotional love in the hands of God. So God does call us. He calls us. He convicts our heart. There is an experiment in our life. We experience God's love when he calls us. He knocks on our door if you want to put that terminology to it. He elects us if you want to call it that. But each and every one of us who has found that love will experience at one time an overwhelming desire to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I mean, we remember those experiences. We can retell others of those experiences. But even the pastor who stands before you today knows that that experience begins to fade. And true love sets in. Jesus would say, take this yoke upon me. And he's talking about his scriptures. We're going to skip ahead just for a moment and look at chapter 5. It tells us this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ was born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know, by this we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. When we love God and obey his commandments. So there's an action involved in love. It is obeying his commandments. It is what Jesus taught. Read the Sermon of the Mount found in the Gospel of Matthew those early chapters. Just read it. Jesus really talks about love. But in that, he talks about actions too. We can't say that love is just emotional. It is just emotional response to God. It is an action. It is a get down on our hands and knees and pray for forgiveness. But guess what? God's love is perfect. He knew 
we were going to mess up. He knew that we were going to be his enemies. And before we were born, before he knitted us together in the womb, he had already reconciled us to himself by sending Jesus to die for us. So let me tell you the truth here. It doesn't matter what you have done in your life. It doesn't matter if you've murdered people. It doesn't matter if you've cheated people. It doesn't matter even if you were a pretty good person but failed on the smallest bit of the law. It does not matter because God has already reconciled you to himself. To enter into this love, you have to ask for his forgiveness and call on him as the name of the Lord. To believe in your heart that God sent him to be born of Mary, to live a normal earthly life, to teach us how that we are to live our lives. And then he was hung on a cross and died. But on Easter Sunday morning, he rose again because he conquered death and gave us hope that we could actually live in freedom. But because before that, we lived in bondage, each and every one of us in bondage to sin. And, you know, we say, oh, we're just not these goody two-shoes. We can't live this perfect life according to the law. You're thinking about it all wrong. Jesus taught you how to be free. Paul says, if you try to live perfectly, you can't. But if you want to have true freedom, God is the answer. Christ is the answer because he loved you. It's not that you don't get to do certain things that look fun because you see other people doing it is that God has delivered you from doing those things so that you can finally choose to do what is good for yourself. Think of it that way. If the Apostle Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do, that is sin, and I don't do the things that I know I do, but when Christ lives in you, you now have true freedom because if you are looking to him as your guidance, you now are truly freed from sin. So it's not that I don't get to do those things that other people do that look like fun. It is, Lord, thank you for letting me live above the pain of death. Thank you for letting me be able to do the things that bring life and not death. Thank you for letting me be able to be light and not darkness. Thank you for giving me a mind to discern who is the Antichrist and the devil that so easily steers us away. Thank you for loving me. Now here's the catch. How do others know you have experienced this? We love because he first loved us. No one has ever seen God. No one. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected. So this is how others know what we have found. Others know that we have found freedom and redemption and reconciliation. It was this free gift of grace and mercy. As if we love others. How do we love others? That's a tough one. We try to keep his commandments, but from a human perspective, we only find failure. 
because we try to do like Paul did for many years of his life. He tried to live in a way of submission. But his body was already broken and beaten. And he failed time and time again. So are you going to mess up? Absolutely. But love is interesting. If you truly love somebody and they know you truly love them, love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? If you love a child and they mess up, you're not getting rid of them. You're not putting them up on the auction block. You forgive them and move on and help them learn from their mistakes. So how do we get there? In the letter to the Colossians, Paul says these words again. Whatever your task, put yourself into it. As done for the Lord and not for your masters. Whatever your task, do it as you do for the Lord. Not as you do it for yourself, which are good reasons. Not as you do it for somebody you love. But whatever your task, doing it as if that very task is for the Lord. Whether it's peeling potatoes or proclaiming the gospel. Whether it's washing a car or translating a Bible. whether it's harvesting a crop or passing a football, whether it's cleaning a toilet, vacuuming a rug, or putting gold on a magnificent work of art. Whatever you do, do it as you do it for the Lord. When we put our motivation behind us and we seek God first, then we can truly show what love is. Not when we try to prove ourselves, to prove that we can love. But when we do things for the Lord, people can see that we love them because God's love is in us. So join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your message. Lord, we thank you for the words of Scripture. They teach us how to live. They teach us how to love. They teach us what true freedom is. But Lord, we know that living in this world is hard. Because not, even, not just that the world is out to get us, but sometimes there are those in our very presence who the devil has twisted and warped. And they hurt far more than those that we know are our enemies. So, Lord, when we live our life, teach us to seek you first. The best way to do that, Lord, is teach us to do everything from the smallest of details to the grandest of gestures. Teach us to do it for you. And if all of our motivation goes to you, your love will be seen in how we live our lives. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Now as we enter our time of invitation.